Hey, I'm Ray Hudson, and you are, I don't know who you are, but you're listening to Blaugranagram. Don't be like them kids in the Blair Witch Project, and go away, right? Good afternoon, hello, and welcome to the 12th episode of this season's installment of the Driven Shot Podcast here on uh, the Blaugranagram Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Omar Hawash, and here on my side, I've got Ajwal Fadaza. How are you doing? How's, uh, how's everything going? Um, really good. Really excited after the result of yesterday of Barcelona against Real Sociedad. So yeah, good. Thank yes. you. Six one. It's uh, quite the scoreline, and um, you know we're hearing a lot of people say Barcelona are slowly making their way back. Uh, do you think that's the case? Um, I think right now it's just a battle of to see how far this Barcelona can actually go. Well, specifically La Liga wise, because I mean in La Copa del Rey we know that we're in the final. From the Champions League, we are um, eliminated, sadly. But, yeah. I mean, I think the sky is the limit right now for Ronald Koeman's team. Maybe we hit, um, well, we got the key or the right formula a little bit late into the season. But right now, I mean, the team is flying. Yeah, and I think I think a big part of that is, of course, Ronald Koeman. I mean, a lot of people are not uh, really, shall we say, happy to give him the credit that he definitely does deserve. I mean, he's... Turn this team around, and as much as you want to talk about uh, Ricky Puj, who's not getting enough playing time in some people's eyes, fact of the matter is he's managed to have a, at the time, 17-year-old Pedri light up La Liga. He's managed to incorporate these new players into the team. Griezmann finally feels like he fits in. Dembele is, is, slow, is slowly gaining this momentum and, and showing this form that we know he can show, and that was the reason why Barcelona bought him from Dortmund in the first place. He's slowly getting into that habit now of actually having this form and having this confidence. And, of course, a big part of that goes to the medical staff that have been doing a really, really good job when it comes to Usman Dembele um, and and the other players, of course. But I think a lot of it comes down to Kuman's man management. And I know that looking at some of his previous uh, previous stints, uh, like the one in, um, in Everton, for instance, I know there was a case, I believe, with... Uh, Umar Niasse, I might be wrong, but I think it was Umar Niasse, and he was talking about how Kuman was very, very straightforward, and I think even got rid of his uh, his name in the locker room or something like that. So he's a very direct person, and and obviously you need a person like that to coach a team like FC Barcelona, given the players and the big names, um, and the whole thing about oh wait, maybe these players have these big egos, and you need someone to kind of control that. I don't think that's an issue in the club. Um, but obviously, back when, let's say, under Luis Enrique, when you had names like Luis Suarez, Neymar, Messi, at the peak of their powers, uh, you had an Ivan Rakitic, who was also doing quite well. You need someone who can control that. And I think he's been controlling that really well. And I think he's, his man management of the younger players, like Elias Moriba now coming onto the scene, you Oscar Mingueza, a name that no one really thought was going to be a prominent name in the first team. Uh, Ronald Araujo as well, of course, after Todibo left, has gotten more playing time. And and I think that's something that people are just glossing over without really paying much attention to it, is that he has been doing a good job. Um, and and I think that's something that definitely should be at least highlighted. Yeah, I mean, completely. Also, the fact that Ronald Koeman is actually a very, well, if not relevant, a historic player for Barcelona's history, especially since he did play for Barcelona. And I think that really adds uh, a new dimension to a manager 
being or coming back to one of his former clubs. Maybe something that Valverde never really had with the players, especially since there are a few stories where he did not um, very see eye to eye with a lot of players or or something like that. And especially Kiki Setien that took basically the same team that Valverde left and just took it over for, I think, two or three months where we yep. couldn't actually see the results of his managing style or anything, really. So I think Coman has that merit that he actually does manage really well his players and he does make them play as a team, not just a, a team playing for Messi or a team playing for a certain player. They're actually playing together and they look happy. I mean, you see the celebrations that... Um, of yesterday, they look like little kids again. They're just having fun passing the ball around like 20, 30 times before scoring a goal or making a, a marvelous play. I mean, especially as you're saying, passing around before scoring the goal, making so many passes, especially the goal where uh, Alba combined with Ricky Puj, Messi's goal. Um, the last one. Yeah, that was very much, uh, that's what you would call a Barcelona goal. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's, it's beautiful to see the team. And I, as uh, Sergio Des said post match last night as well, is that the team is is, you know, you can they're they're at very they're doing very well and they're feeling very well. They're feeling like a team, feeling like a unit, and and they are at this is the best FC Barcelona has been this season so far. And I don't think they've peaked in, in terms of this season. I think there is more to come, but they're at a very good spot right now both in La Liga in terms of the standings, but also mentally. They're mentally very, very well right now. It's a very, shall we say, very healthy team. Uh, a lot of youngsters and a healthy mix between youngsters and veterans, and they're playing well. The team feels like a family. They're slowly getting that feeling back that we saw under managers like Pep Guardiola, we saw under Luis Enrique to an extent. Um, it's something that Tata Martino was trying to instill as well. And it's it's nice to see that that's finally coming back to Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, completely. I mean, as you say, they look like a family and they're a great mixture of youngsters and veteran players. And also, I mean, you can see it basically as we were talking about um, possession and all that. that are, that's basically Barcelona essence of gameplay. I mean, against Real Sociedad, for those that couldn't see it or didn't see it, um, Barcelona had 69 possessions. Uh, percent of the possession against 31% of Real Sociedad, 746 passes with 90% accuracy. I mean, that tells you a whole lot of yesterday's game. An interesting thing about the passing accuracy, I've been crunching some numbers recently, and I can tell you, uh, I'm, you know, around five or six of the last games, Barcelona have had 90% passing accuracy, 89 to 90 in that range, which is insane. Because when you look at the teams they're facing, these are not bad teams. You know, some of the teams are teams that know how to press. And even against teams like Paris Saint-Germain, who slowly are becoming a high-pressing team, they still manage to have that passing accuracy. And it's it's a really good sign. Um, you're not having as many giveaways. Clement Longley, who was pretty much slandered um, not too long ago, is now slowly finding his, you know, re regaining his form. And yes, you could say, well, it's against Real Sociedad. But he also fluked it against Cadiz. So where are we now? And, and I, th I think I, I've been thinking about this. And I think that part of the reason why he's doing so well is this, you know, boost in his momentum and his confidence after being picked for the national team. I think that definitely does a lot to a player. Because if you're thinking, hey, I might not be doing too well, I'm getting criticized by Barcelona fans. And then 
your your national team manager and his technical staff say no, you're actually doing quite well. You're like, okay, well, this is from the outside, so it's not it's a non biased view because obviously, unfortunately, a lot of people have quote unquote agendas or don't really like a certain player or a certain center back pairing or whatever, and they'll say something that will suit that narrative. But when it comes from the outside and it's like, no, you're actually doing a good job, that gives you this mental boost that you need. And I think that's part of the reason why Clement Longley is playing well is that national team call-up has boosted him mentally. Um, also, the you know having pairing up with players like Alba and Dest who are in very fine form kind of motivates you to get in that form as well. Yeah, I mean, also I think um, he's been one of the primary um... – well, one of the players that actually benefited from the system of three center backs along with Busquets. But um, Longlet has actually, I think, found his, again his space because he knows that he has that cover, at least from Alba on the wing when they're being attacked. And also yeah. from, well, last night it was De Jong that was the other uh, center back along with yeah. Mingueza. But um, if it had been Araujo, he also knows that he has Araujo or Piquet coming his back, literally on his back in, um, in his For own sure. box. So I think that actually really helps him because he knows that he's not that alone and he maybe commit a, he can commit a mistake, what well, somewhat of a mistake, and it won't be a certain goal as um, in the past few games that could have been currently, well, the result of that. Oh, for sure. I, I, the only thing that kind of bums me out about it is, is, you know, as I was saying, some players do not, well, so, not some players, some fans do not like certain players. And I feel like now the narrative against him is going to be, oh, he only works in a three-man back line because he's not a solid enough center back to be in a, you know, in a four-man back line. He's not solid enough to be one of two center backs. He has to have three, which, again, is not true. I think since signing, he's been one of the best defensive signings in recent times. And I stand by that. I'll die on that hill because I think he's really shown – a lot of maturity, and yes, granted, he does make some mistakes, and re his recent form before the past two three games was not good, but one thing that, well, one of the reasons I kept faith in him is that I remember, I think it was around a year ago, he had an interview with uh, El Periodico, and it was a very, very lengthy interview, and I remember at the time, he said, um, like, he was talking about how he analyzes the games before the matches, after the matches, analyzes his opponents. And I know that's something that, you know, it's quite standard for a professional. But not many professionals do it to that extent. Like, he will analyze, like, pretty much everything before the match, uh, talk to, I think it was his dad, after the match, and analyze on his own time, spends the plane rides to, like, bus stars or plane rides, analyzing, and something similar to what De Young does as well. And those types of players might hit bad forms in some occasions. I know De Young didn't have an he, – he did well at first, then he sort of had a dip in form. And now he's doing better than ever since he signed for Barcelona. And those types of players have this strong mentality and have this – they're in this mental state where they know what to do. Their body might not be able to follow suit, but they know what they have to do. And that's why if even if they hit a bad run of form, they'll bounce back. Yeah, I mean, they're completely um, resilient players. Yes, um, yes. They know what they have to do before they're even doing it. Also, I mean, we have to take into consideration Longley had, let's say, a little bit of bad luck with his hand <laughs> position and all that. Um, I know well, specifically, well, personally, the penalty against uh, Paris Saint-Germain on the second leg was, was basically inexistent for me. Very, very harsh in my but, opinion. Yeah, I mean, but I also know that there are certain fans that um, just – 
with the objective of to criticize him. They'll say, oh, it was a penalty and all that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he has had a little bit of bad luck, but he has shown that resilience that you're talking about. He has been, he has been there. He hasn't asked for another player to come in and substitute him or, or whatever internally. Ronald Koeman has also had some faith in him because, I mean, he could have also played Umtiti for all we know. Yeah, we we also know that MTT is not in his best form, but I mean, if you're at it, why not just sit down long play? That's not in his best form and play MTT, but that's not been the case. And if Ronald Coleman has shown his faith in him, and he, it's actually been repaid um, with a game like yesterday, I mean, let's all have faith in him moving forward. Yeah, for sure, and 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 that's the thing as well. Like I feel like people don't talk about it enough. Is you know you think you see players like Francisco Trincao who doesn't have the most impressive output for Barcelona yet. The reason I say yet is because at Braga, and yes, it's the Portuguese league, it's not La Liga, but with Braga, for those that followed him, after the announcement was made about his signing to Barcelona, he lit up the, the Portuguese league, scored and assisted pretty much every game in bulks, um, played really, really well, and he is a very dynamic player, but he also needs to adjust because compared to, let's say, a couple of seasons ago where Barcelona's style wasn't really there, it was more of, well, I guess we'll do this on the ball. It was more of like an improv session, which there isn't too much wrong with. But when you're FC Barcelona and you face these big teams, you kind of want a defined style because you want your players to have something to fall back to, which is something that Earl Koeman now has been really good at doing. It's something that Kike Setien was trying to do. It's something that Valverde had done to an extent in La Liga. In Champions League, they suffered a bit more. But at the time, it wasn't really something that, like, they didn't really have this set style, this set of, of instructions where it was like, this is what you have to do. So for a player to adjust, it was, a very, it was very different from player to player because it all depended on his creativity more than... The, the overall style and the overall thoughts of how we push forward, how do we, you know, how do we come back, all that stuff, right? With Trincao, the situation is a bit different because now he has to adjust to this certain style. Similarly to what we saw with Antoine Griezmann, he's played in La Liga for years. He was with Real Sociedad for four seasons, played with Atleti for as long as he did. Um, and you'd think, yeah, he's La Liga material. How is he not succeeding in Barcelona? They shouldn't have signed him, all that stuff. No, I don't think so. I think... He's slowly, he's finally adjusting, finding his role. And having a, t a team with a Lionel Messi and an Antoine Griezmann is not easy. And we've seen that. And I know that's a very obvious thing to say. But that's not to say Griezmann is a, is, is a bad player. It's not to say he's a bad fit because he still can play a role in this team. I mean, if you look at the role he now has, it's more in the defensive area than in just having, you know, having him play up front as a nine because he doesn't function as a nine. He's never played as he's never actually been a number nine for any side. In France you could argue he was a bit of a nine, but he was also a player that would come back, help build up play, be somewhat more of a playmaker as a second striker, which is where he excelled with uh at Atleti. And so seeing a player like that having to adjust to playing with Leo Messi who has a similar playing style, it's not easy at all. But I think he's slowly finding his footing in the team. And I think Trincao also will slowly find his pace and slowly find his rhythm and know what to do. Because since, well, in the past few games, whenever he's come on, he hasn't really made any mistakes. He just hasn't done anything outstanding. And that's okay 
because he's still adjusting. He's adjusting from the Portuguese league. If you compare him to Griezmann, Griezmann is adjusting from the from the same league. It's just a different team with a different playing style, but it's the same league. So that should I you know in in some scenarios that should take less time, but that very much depends on the style of play. And for Griezmann and players like Coutinho, they've had to play under so many different Barca managers, so many different styles, and so many different teammates as well. And that's never easy. But I think it's it's I'm happy to see that Griezmann is finally finding his footing in this team. Um, it definitely feels like it, at least. And Trincao also, I think, definitely will find it. It just takes a bit of time. Yeah, I mean, um, well, as you said, um, Coutinho and Griezmann have played um, with a few managers now with, in Barcelona. But I think that's also a process that has to be um, continued. I mean, as a manager, you can't, you just can't go in and day one and install whatever your system is and the players will react immediately. I mean, no, it's a whole process. It has to be organic and... And a lot of factors go into it. But also, I mean, um, you're finally um, getting a few, well, basically one whole season with one manager that has actually been, um, uh, well, that actually has some sort of control over the locker room. And also, I mean, especially with Trincao, he's, mm. he's still very young and was now the three-back three, uh, three back system. He has to compete with players like Des that are currently really, really well, playing really, really well on the, that right wing. And also, I mean, if you put him as a nine, he won't function, as you said, because he isn't actually a nine. He doesn't know He doesn't know what his runs should be. He doesn't know what he should do in certain moments. He maybe take a, a little bit too much time doing a few things. But, I mean, it's also being part of a process. You can't just arrive at one club and say, oh, I'm here. I'm going to function as I played as well in, in my former team, which is yeah. some – well, it can be the case for a few players, but normally it doesn't take just one day. I mean, look back at Luis Suarez or even Neymar. Neymar yeah. took one whole season which he had to adapt because he didn't know how to play at Barcelona. Luis Suarez also his first season. He struggled somewhat because he gave assists, but he couldn't actually score goals. And he came from being the golden boot at the Premier League, which um, a few very, people very say, tough. yeah, I mean, that is actually very, very tough in the Premier League. So, I mean, it's just a process for every every single player. It's not something that go, that grows in one day. If you look at Ricky Puig and some may say, oh, Ricky Puig knows what to play. I mean, he's played his whole life for Barcelona. He knows what the playing style is. He's basically um, ADN Barcelona, as some people would yeah. say. So yeah. yeah, I mean, you can't criticize you can't criticize one player because he doesn't function as well as his, uh, his team. Because I mean, if any of us tried to go to Barcelona, we wouldn't do if anything. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's an excellent point. Um, so of course, our stream here. This is going. This is a live stream uh, as usual. These do happen uh, every Monday at four p.m. Central European time. Um, so you can obviously tune in here, but in case. Uh, in case you missed it last time out or in case you're just tuning in now you can't watch the whole thing this will be on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts it will be there and if you're enjoying it feel free to drop us a like or subscribe or a follow a rating if you're watching this on or if you're tuning in through Apple Podcasts it's much appreciated and of course always remember when you do tune in that you can drop your comments questions and thoughts in the live chat we will uh, take them as the uh, podcast goes on so uh, Chewy Suarez here says, hi, hi, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we hope you're enjoying it so far. And again, if you have any questions, feel free to drop them uh, down below. Um, yeah, so yeah, like you were saying, it is a process. And I think it's, it's important to remember that because a lot of people, as you said, think that, well, 
this player is we just paid you know Barca just paid 120 million euros for him why is he not doing well he's supposed to do well he has 120 million euro price tag on him yeah but that's like he didn't choose that price tag you know I'm sure if he could choose a price tag, he wouldn't choose that price tag because that comes with a huge set of expectations. And and as much as people like to say, oh, well, he's just not mentally strong enough or whatever, like I said about Felipe Coutinho, for instance, that's just not that's just not the case. It's not easy to adjust to a team in itself, right? If you're coming to a team that's your dream club, like Barcelona has been for many players and is for many players, you can't. Like, it's not easy to adjust in the first place because that in itself is a lot of pressure because this is your dream club. This is the move you've been wanting all your life. You want to succeed. And then at the same time, you have a lot of pressure from fans as it is, whether that's pressure against you or expectations for you that you want to live up to. And then you slap a big boy price tag on that. That's tough, you know. And, and no matter how strong mentally this player is, it's not going to be easy, and it's it's just going to get harder if he has all that to think about as well. Um, and I think that's that's the thing as well. Like people on social media find it so easy to just go in and bash a player because it's behind the screen. You know, it's anonymous. No one is going to track me. No repercussions. Well, no legal repercussions at least. And I'll just say whatever I want to say. And yeah, it's easy to do that, but it's just being a jerk. You know. Yeah, I mean. But like, also, it's inconsiderate. Yeah, and I think that pattern is going to be um, – we'll see it a lot going forward because, I mean, we see now the price tags that a few uh, young players have. And, I mean, it's just – it's astronomical. It's just unbelievable that a few – well, if five years ago they would have said that, I mean, no, nobody would have taken them seriously. Uh, no, no. But, I mean, no. you, you look at the market today, well, especially after the Neymar transfer to PSG, and it just basically burst a bubble. And now uh, if you have one good season, you're worth more than 100 million euros, apparently. So, I mean, just imagine how Haaland or uh, Kylian Mbappe would take it if one of these days they're actually transferred for more than 200 million euros and they arrive at, um, I don't know, uh, uh, Manchester City, Real Madrid, uh, FC Barcelona. And they have to live up to expectations of having a 200 plus, 200 million plus um, transfer. So. No, no, for sure. I mean, it's it's uh, it's crazy. It's it's crazy. Um, and and again, I feel like people, I feel like people somewhat miss that point, you know? Because now, like, we're at a point now where it's like, oh, it's just a number, you know? So why does it matter? Like, it's not our money or whatever, right? But then when the player doesn't do well, that's the first thing people attack is, no, we they paid 150 million euros for you. You should be performing. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Like, if you paid 150 million euros for a player, that doesn't mean he's going to be an instant hit. It still might take him a season or two. And if you looked at, as you said, like, since the Neymar transfer, we've obviously seen an inflation in the market. For the 222 million euros, which is a crazy amount in itself. But let's say Barcelona bought him from, um, let's say Barcelona bought him from, you know, from Santos back then for like 100 million euros. Let's say the market was at this point back then as well, or a Suarez for like 140 or 150 million euros. I doubt they would have done as well because that puts on a huge, huge, huge pressure. And I don't care how mentally strong you are. If you're getting slandered left, right, and center, that's going to hit you at some point. 
And especially now with people in this age of people being able to just say whatever and it actually somehow getting to the player, you know, like if you sent the player a letter by a post, it's not really going to, you know, it's not really going to, it's just going to be one of many. But if you spam him on like Twitter or Instagram or whatever, like on a daily basis, or you get like 10 of your friends to do the same thing, that shows up like he'll see it eventually, right? And, and and that's like that in itself is not easy for anyone to deal with. And now consider that you're a player and you have this huge mental pressure on you as it is. And then you just get this added on top of it. It's going to be difficult no matter who you are. I mean, sure, you can play in the World Cup final and score a banger, right? You can take on an half half of the opposition. No issue. But that's a different type of pressure. That's just you doing what you know you can do on a football pitch, right? But that's also because you know that there are these types of expectations for you. When you then transfer that on to something that's more personal, because people do get personal with this. They get, like, it's personal stuff, right? It's, you know, it's, it's just not right. I mean, I think you also lose the, ens- the essence of football, that yeah. it's... It's basically you, you root for a team and you hope for the best for them. You can slander them if they play badly. I mean, it's part also of the process of being a football um, fan and all that. But, I mean, it, it doesn't have to get to the extent of being personal and actually slandering them daily. Or as uh, some cases we've actually seen in Barcelona in the city where they uh, wait for them in some uh, green light or in some stop and they actually scream at the player's some terrible things. I think I think we've seen videos of Neto, the goalkeeper, Omuriki, yeah. and even Messi that uh, actually tells yeah. them to basically just go away. And I mean, it does. They're at the end of the day, they're they're human beings. I mean, they're players and, and all that. But, that. Yeah, I mean, and they're human beings. They they may be entertainers and all that, but but they're human beings, and we have to treat them like that. Yeah, let's take a look at some of the questions here. Uh, Chuba Suarez uh, says thoughts on Mingueza as a stopper. <laughs> Uh, I'm assuming you mean the central center back. Yeah, I think he means like, right? um, I remember uh, this idea that there's a defender that lets the ball go through or the player, but not both. So oh. <laughs> he stops the player, he stops the ball, but not not both go through. So yeah, I think he's okay, a good yeah. stopper. <laughs> he's very yeah, physical so. at least. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. Uh, and it's nice to have that side of the sort of play also because he is very energetic. And I li- like seeing him push forward as much as he did last night as well was really, really nice because it shows this confidence in him and in the back line to say, yeah, no, you can push up. We've got this um, and vice versa. So that was that was really good to see. Uh, Ahmed uh, SM84 says, hey, guys, great conversation. He says this uh, through Twitter. Of course, you remember this is being streamed on Twitter, YouTube and Facebook. So. You can tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Uh, your Central European time. And um, if you've missed it or if you'd like to re-listen, this, these are all on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, as, as will this episode be, including these questions being answered. He says, hey, guys, great conversation. I have a concern about Holland. This signing reminds me of uh, Ibra signing. So many similarities. Scandinavians, tall, same manager, similar personality. Um <laughs> Yeah, I could see that. Um, I think they are somewhat different players and somewhat different personalities in my book because Zlatan is more 
shall we say, outgoing, more outspoken. Holland <laughs> seems more reserved. And if you've seen some of his interviews, I mean, recently he's, he's, he actually says more than two sentences. But I remember I saw an interview of him um, not too long ago where the, the, the uh, journalist basically had to, like, just drag the words out of his mouth. Um, so, I, I mean, personality-wise, unless you mean on the pitch, because on the pitch I could see that in terms of their style, maybe a bit of a similar style. Um, I'd say the biggest similarity, though, is that they're Scandinavians for me and their height. Um, I can see why it reminds you of the Ibra signing. Um, but as as some as some people know, the Ibrahimovic signing was not that successful, unfortunately. Um, but I mean, it happens. You can't have every signing be the right one, and not every player fits into every club. So, you know, that's that's just how it goes. I um, if you had to choose, would you would you go would you have, would you see Barca go for Holland or would you have them go for another striker for um, next season? No, I think it would be Haaland. But also, I mean, Ahmad, we have to remember that actually Slatan arrived at uh, Messi peaked basically as a striker in that season. He's, he outscored even Slatan at Barcelona. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't a good signing, but let's take into consideration the context. I mean, right now, um, Messi is in a, more of a creator role right now. Maybe he could actually serve a lot more balls and be more of assistant than actually a finisher. I mean, he will be a finisher still. Because as we saw last night, he he can still score more than one goal per game, but mm. um, he, I mean, he could um, <clears throat> he could uh, play better than Slatan actually played. Because as I said, Messi isn't that striker or that player that takes it all the way from half um, from midfield and scores a goal basically two feet away from the goalkeeper anymore. He's yeah. more of a creator. He serves a lot of passes, as we saw yesterday to Alba, to Dest, to basically everyone on the pitch. So, I mean, he could work even better than Slatan worked. But, I mean, I do see the similarities. They're tall <laughs> and they're Scandinavian. But I do think also um, Haaland is more, more, much more explosive because he actually, as, yeah. if you've seen his runs, I mean, he just accelerates, um, I mean, like hell. He just runs through defenders. And that's amazing. I mean, I don't think that's actually something that we saw from Slatan before. And also, I mean, the game of change. The sport yeah. of, of football has changed. You have to be physical. You have to be fast. You have to be very technical, which Slatan was at his point, but maybe a lot of defenders defenders weren't that much. So, mm. I mean, Haaland is different. He's more of a prototype of what footballers or strikers should be nowadays. So, I mean, it could work more than Slatan worked before. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so as well. Um, but that's that's a that's a good question, Ahmed. Keep them coming. Uh, very interesting point. Um Shui Suarez, uh, in relation to the previous question, says uh, Stopper is a CB that plays on either side of the Libero. Um, the Libero, of course, in this case, being Frankie de Jong. Um, no, I think I think he's done excellent. I think he's been literally solid, uh, Mingueta, actually. And I think also the fact that he is somewhat speedy helps him as well. Yep. Um, so, Omar, what would be your, um, well, like, dream defense right now for Barcelona? It's tough to say. Um, I mean, it's an know. open question. Everyone that's seeing the podcast or listening to, please also give us your feedback and tell us what your um, dream team defense would be right now for Barcelona. I mean, if you're talking about being able to have any player, um, that's tough. That's really, really tough. Um, you know, I think Araujo has done really well. He still is young, though. 
I think Miguesa has done really well. Um, also really young. Yeah. I w- I'm not sure I would change a whole lot, to be honest. Especially if they can stay fit and stay in form. Um, you know, a long lay Mingetha, De Young, or a long lay Mingetha Araujo, and then have De Young in midfield, have him being, give him that freedom to push that, like, we've seen he's been really, really good at. Um, I think that would work well. I think an Eddie Garcia could work really well. Frankenpower power might be a thing. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. Um, <laughs> I like that. I hadn't heard that one before. That's a good one. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a good one. I like it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I wouldn't really change a whole lot. I think the defense is is, is good. I think it's really solid. I think um, obviously add some players for squad depth would be good if Simon Umtiti can get back into form. I mean, when he played last time, he didn't look bad, in my opinion. I think he looked quite good. And, yeah, and I, mean, I, I mean, I was expecting him to get more games, but I guess when you have Araujo, Migueza, and Longley all performing – you kind of have to choose one of them, so it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, right now I don't think it's really a point of if Umtiti can um, have good good games in La Liga because I think we know it's it has a good level La Liga, but when you face certain teams, the defenders don't actually have to do a whole lot defensive wise. But I yeah. think right now the question is um, how can he perform against top teams? Because I mean, he had great uh, matches against Real Madrid in El Clasico two, three times per year before okay. his injury. He played really well, and he was up to the task. So I think it's more of a question of how he can actually play against top teams like that again. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a really good point. Um, Chuy Suarez says, if we sign Alaba, then Alaba, Frankie de Jong, Mingueza. That would be an interesting back line. That would be a really interesting back line. Also because I think if you do have a three-five-two and you have Alba at your disposal, I don't think... I definitely think he should be that left, shall we say, midfielder or wing back for yeah. sure. Um, because Alaba is fast and can be a good left back, but I'd rather have him as a left center back because he has been playing as a center back for Bayern Munich for some time now, and he's been solid at it. And he yeah. also has some pace to be able to recover if he's pushed a bit too far forward and stuff. Um, and for those teams that like to play quick breaks. So, no, I think I, th- I think that would be a really interesting signing, actually. So, um Chuy Suarez has the young in the defense, and that that would leave it with a three four one two system like we saw yesterday, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it would. So two players out wide, then two somewhat holding midfielders. That and would be Pedri and Busquets, I think. Yeah, and then basically a ten behind two strikers slash inverted wingers. That that, that should actually work, right? Well, I mean, yeah. it could work. The only issue I have with it is that I feel like it would limit De Jong, not because he's not good defensively. I think he's really solid defensively. But I also think he's really good going forward. And I think that's something that Barca should make use of. And I think they've been really good at making use of it. I feel like if you have him in a three-man back line consistently, you're going to lose that. Yeah, I mean, we well, we have to remember, we actually, we actually bought him from Ajax because of those runs he can make. Exactly. So I think it, it is a good um, d- defense, but I, could, I think if you have that one... I would just change, um, I think, maybe Araujo instead mm. of, of the young and move the young up. Yeah. I think something like uh, maybe a De Jong Pedri or a De Jong Puj could work. One thing I would actually really like to see, and I think the only issue I have with it is that it limits it limits the players up front. 
but something like um, something like a Pedri in the in the ten role or a Puj in the ten role, and Pedri and maybe De Jong in in as some sort of holding midfielders, because Pedri is naturally a more attacking player, but he's he also knows how to find those small spaces and how to find those passes, and I think he would do really well in that role. And then if you had, but then the issue would be then you have to sacrifice either of Dembele or Griezmann up front to have like a Messi Griezmann or a Messi Dembele. But I feel like even that could be interesting to try out, because um, I, I think that would add something. Because Ricky Puj, every time he's come on, has looked very dynamic, and we haven't seen Puj and Pedri at the same time, very rarely at least. And I remember, like I I I understand it in a certain way because. Of course, Puj and Pedri have similar playing styles, so I would like it makes sense to not put them at the same time if you want, like, let's say, a more defensive uh, midfield because you actually will be able to counter the like high intensity pressing from the opponent's midfield. But I would like in some game to see those three together in a midfield with one of them playing the ten role and then having whoever else up front and uh, and out wide. Because I think that would be really interesting. Because Puj has this explosiveness going forward, so does Pedri. To be fair, but I think I think combining that would be a lethal weapon. Yeah, I mean, also if we go back to the four-three-three, it would be actually interesting to see um, De Jong maybe in that role that Busquets played for so many years for Iniesta mm-hmm. and Xavi. So I, I don't want to throw out that comparison because I mean it's a long way out. Still, they're very young. They have a lot of um, well, a, a lot of matches have had of him still in their career. So, but it would it, no, no, it, it actually would be interesting to see him in that four three three with the with the young behind them and Ricky and Pedri going forward because I mean they do have a similar playing style. I think maybe Ricky is more explosive than Pedri and Pedri can actually recover the ball more. But they yeah. do play similarly and especially physically, they look a lot alike. I mean, they're not that tall. They're actually not really skinny. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, like, would, I, yeah, I get it. Yeah. It would be interesting to see that experiment. Yeah, exactly. Like, again, I understand why Kuman isn't playing them at the same time because, as you said, they are very similar. Um, right. But again, like, if you had a 4 3 3 or something, it would be really interesting to see them play together. I think that would be really, even if you had like a 4 3 3 attacking. So, like, a, yep. with like, uh, instead of a, a defensive midfielder, you have an attacking midfielder. You could then push one of them up there and then have De Young. With the other with the other player in the somewhat holding midfielder role, I think that could be really interesting to see as well. Um, and I think that's the good thing for Kuman is he has a lot of options and he's actually making use of them. I remember some of the some of the criticism uh, towards Barcelona managers in general has gone towards they're not making the right substitutions. I don't think that's an issue now. Like recently, I think Ronald Kuman has been really good at knowing when to make the substitutions and making the right substitutions uh, at the right times. And, and it works. I mean, you could say, yeah, Ricky Puj has only been playing eight minutes, but he's been doing, like, yesterday he set up, he helped set up a goal in those eight to ten minutes. Um, and so seeing that, he's doing the right things, Ronald Koeman. Yeah, I mean, maybe a lot of fans don't actually like, as you said, that Ricky's only playing ten minutes or something like that per game. But I mean, also... Um, you have to take in, as we said, they're basically the same kind of player. If you play, if you take on, well, if you put on Ricky for Pedri, you're basically putting on a very similar player. So I know, or I understand why yeah. Election Moriba is playing a lot because he maybe wants to put a more physical player that can actually dominate the midfield physically. 
Okay. But I mean, yeah, um, I remember a few managers, I don't want to say particular names, but it was the 80th minute and no substitution had come on for Barcelona. And yeah. we were just like dying because you could see the fatigue in the players. Yeah. Um, something that we don't, I didn't actually notice last night, maybe a little bit of um, Griezmann because as, as we said, he goes uh, back to the fence a lot and then he goes up again, down He's and all that. He's, yeah. a really, he's a real workhorse. But um, even though uh, the players have had a lot of gains in such a short period of time, they don't actually look that fatigued as, uh, in the previous seasons. No, no. I mean, again, I think Koeman has done a good job. At, it seems like the team has this physical presence now in several areas of the pitch. Of course, Messi has gradually become more physical. Um, we've seen... The midfield has somewhat of a physical presence. It's not like they're just getting pushed off the ball because that's something that's being focused on, um, you know, by by Kuman and his technical staff for sure. Um, the defense also is quite physical. We've seen Clement Longley basically push players out legally, just you know, uh, <laughs> push them out the way. Uh, Mingueza is also quite quite physical, and I think that's something that is really nice to see Barcelona adapting to. With the players they have, and I think that's the thing that Kuman has has done well, and something he's actually managed to make use of is having these players in your team. That maybe for other for other people, or if you'd ask the average Joe, wouldn't say no, play this guy. But no, he's a youngster. Let me try him out. Let me see how he plays in this particular setup, and it's worked. Yeah, I mean, it's completely worked for him, at least what he's tried so far. So let's keep faith in him that he can actually do something. And if um, the board, the new board can actually do something economically speaking and bring yeah. on new players, it would actually, I think it would help more than it would affect the current team. Because, I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what signings are for, to actually reinforce the existing team rather than just deteriorate it. Yeah. And I will say it's tough to not have faith in the current board and the current technical staff. Because they're doing they're doing they're doing an excellent job, and I think the board now, especially new new president, that kind of brings this new injection of faith and belief. And especially Juan Laporta, of course, we know what he's capable of, and we know what he's done in the past, and that's very promising in itself. So I think I think Barcelona now are going towards this, shall we say, somewhat of a new era um, that's on the cards now, and and I think this slowly is the start of a turnover, like we were talking about last episode. Um, let's look at some of the uh, comments here. Chuy Suarez says, I think Koeman is using Frankie Diang like how Cruyff used Koeman. I could see that. Um, Ahmed SM84 says, personality means would Holland accept to be a secondary role to Messi? Ypres didn't. Both are dominant and seem to prefer the hero role in the team. I'm not sure. Like, I can see why you say that. But, there, I mean... Again, as Joao was saying, I think it's different this time because Messi isn't a striker. Like, yeah, on paper, he takes up a striker's position. But he's not an actual striker. So they wouldn't really get in the way of each other if Holland plays as a pure nine, which is how he plays anyways. And he won't have to track back as much because if you have a player like, if Kuman somehow makes it work with, let's say, for instance, let's say let's say Griezmann stays and you have Messi, Griezmann, and, um, and Holland. You have two people able to create, but also able to score. And then you have a man whose job it literally it, it literally is to make those runs in behind and score. And he will do that. I think that would work. But I, again, I don't think Holland and Messi would be. I don't think they would clash. I don't. No, I don't think so. 
No, I, well, I would, I would also like to think that they wouldn't, especially since Holland is so young and Messi is such an iconic player in well in Barcelona and the whole world of football. So I do think Holland would actually take him as more of a mentor, mm. or or something like that. Of role. I mean, I'm just supposing. I would like to think that that would happen, but I mean, let's keep our hopes up in if Barcelona could actually sign Holland because I was actually reading that someone said that. If Dortmund didn't actually qualify for a Champions League, Haaland could actually push for a transfer because, I mean, he wants to play Champions League where he's excelled so much this season. So we'll have to see if Haaland actually arrives to Barcelona and Messi does stay with uh, with Juan Laporta. We'll have to see um, how they actually work together. And I would like to make the comparison to maybe um, Suarez that actually complemented more uh, Messi, that made those runs and actually help Messi to actually open up the, a defense or something like that of a role. So we'll have to see. I mean, right now it's just a supposition, but we'll have to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, two comments before we before we end this here. Ahmed SM84 says, also, Dest, I loved his performance yesterday. I feel it's a response to the Emerson rumors. Um, I think Dest is, is one of those players that likes to just keep his head down and just focus on his craft. And I think he's done that brilliantly. I think he's... Um, He's shown this form that that many Barcelona fans and of course the club were were hoping for when he when he was signed and he's finally finding his his role and I think that three five two suits him very well because as he also said last night um, after the game he he's he's happy with the space that he's getting and he's doing well in in exploiting it um, definitely he was he was man of the match for me. Um, who, who, who was your man of the match, Joab? And who, were, who was your man of the match? Um, or audience, you can let us know down in the comments below. Um, yeah, I think it would be, well, either between Messi or... Um, well, I know I don't know. It's actually a very tough one because, I mean, I really liked how Alba played because he went yeah. for really good. He actually gave two assists, I think. Well, the Des one yeah. was basically an assist. Des really looked for it, so it was a really good goal, but a really good play. And then the last goal of Messi, his connection with Ricky Puig was also... Um, very good. So I don't know. It would be a really tough one. But if I had to say, I think it would be Des because actually thanks to Des, Barcelona can actually go on to win the game very um, calmly because his two goals actually put on land between um, Barcelona and La Real Sociedad. Yeah. That's a good shout. True uh, Suarez says Busquets. That's an interesting also, one as well. Uh, he's yeah, he's definitely good. worth a shout. Definitely worth a shout. Um, he had a really really good game yesterday um true as far as says Holland would be amazing in that Dembele role I think we would better I think Barca would benefit a lot from those two playing together but I, I, I see I see your point I think that's a fair point to make um on that note I think that's about it for this timeout. um before we play the outro by Phil Shane from being sports we would also like to tell you that he will be guesting next week's episode so if you have any questions you can drop them on Twitter or on Instagram, um, either by adding me. You can see my ad down below or adding Joav um, and uh, using the hashtag TDS live. So that's the driven shot live. Um, and we'll take them first thing when we start next, uh, the next episode, which will be next week on Monday at 4 p.m. essentially European time. So do tune in for that and we'll see you then. Until then, happy Easter. We hope you're holding up well. We hope you're staying way, uh, sane, safe, and well. And unless you have any final words, Joab, before we, before we end this episode? 
Um, no, thank you for having me again. And I'll just I'll just leave the question up that you didn't actually answer that your um, dream team defense. So I'll ask you again <laughs> next week. I'll give you one week to think about it. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy question. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you guys in the comments also think about that and let us know next week. And uh, on that note, thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Roll that outro by Phil Shane from Bean Sports. We'll see you next time, and Godspeed. My name is Phil Shane, and you've been listening to The Driven Shot, hosted by Omar Hawash and the Blaugranogram News Outlet. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you have a wonderful day, and hopefully we'll see you again soon.